Hey everyone, before we get into this episode, I just wanted to let everyone know that we don't have a specific raising awareness section today. Um, If you've been listening, you know that at the end of every episode, um, my guests raise awareness to something important to them. But I just thought it was really important today to um, just shed my opinion on um, what this viral video that went viral yesterday on the project Instagram, what we think about it here, let me talk. Um, And essentially it was this lady who was a teacher at City Point Christian College who no longer is a teacher. Her son also went there and her daughter went there previously as well. They, at this college, they are getting parents to sign contracts basically against the LGBTQI plus community um, in basically saying that they don't agree with who they are as people, as a community, they have, yeah, they don't care. You either sign this against them or you get out of our school. Um, so this lady obviously does not agree with the contracts and she has left and she has taken her child out as well. I just wanted to say that, um, it might not seem important to say something on this, but it definitely is. And I just wanted to say that we, as a podcast platform, are entirely accepting no matter who you are and or what you do or where you come from, no matter what who, who you identify as, it, it does not fucking matter to me. And it shouldn't fucking matter to anyone else. And I just think it's so important that... This is being said and is being exposed on multiple podcasts and multiple other platforms, Instagram, whatever. And if you have the power to do something, no matter how many followers you have, if you have a social media account, get on this. Go on the project's Instagram and share it. Because honestly, I don't know how these people get away with this anymore. And it, and it, they are the cause of the problem that keeps on happening because they are teaching kids in their school not to accept people in the LGBTQI plus community. And I don't fucking understand it. And it needs to stop and it needs to stop now. So if you want to help out, if you want to do something, just get sharing voice your opinions and let's just literally let's get loud because this is unacceptable and there's no reason for this to keep happening everyone deserves to live in this life as their true authentic selves and if someone doesn't like it then no no one if you don't like it just simply don't say anything just shut up because it's none it's none of your business who who a person wants to be that person wants to be who they want to be they have every right to be that and you shouldn't have any input in that and I just think because this is a school specifically and the amount of kids that will go to this school and start being fed that you can't be gay you can't be transient and start being fed that shit that's when you need that's when we all need to stand up as a freaking community as a nation and be like this isn't right and if anything i think the government also needs to step in and be like just no this is not right and you shouldn't be able to write contracts like that and have parents sign it and you know if you are a parent signing that in solidarity with this school 
then honestly you need to check yourself as well but that's all i wanted to raise awareness to today um so enjoy this episode hey guys welcome to let me talk podcast season two episode 28 today's guest maddie young is an australian musician actor and filmmaker he's here today to talk about his journey in the industry so far and what it was like transitioning from melbourne to la and how he's film production company Young One Studios got started and where it is now. Without giving anything else away, let's get into this episode. Hey Maddie, thank you so much for coming on Let Me Talk podcast today. I'm so excited oh, no. to have you here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. How have you been? How's everything with COVID over there and how are oh, you going? Yeah, no. I'd like to say good, but I don't know if you're allowed to say, yeah, how, how's everything with COVID? Oh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's, uh, we're managing. We're, we're adjusting and pivoting and adapting and all the words that everyone is using to survive. Yeah, for sure. It's a difficult time, but hopefully hopefully it's over soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing good. We've We've... We've managed to keep going and keep the business going through all of the madness, which is really good. Yeah, that is so good. <laughs> awesome. Well, we, in the first beginnings of the episode, we do a bit of a rapid fire. So are you up for that one? I am. Hit me. Awesome. So the first one is uh, your favourite actor. I'm going to say, in lieu of a new movie coming out, Paul Dano. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, nice. And um director that inspires you the most? Um right now, because in every interview I see, he says he only makes films for the only person that matters who like he's making the film for uh, is Denis Villeneuve. Guy that just did Dune and Blade Runner, and I'm not a, I'm not the the type of films he makes. I'm like, yeah, there are there are better films, uh, but just his mindset as a director. Yeah, just, awesome. I love yeah. that. Drama or comedy? Dramedy. <laughs> I love it. And good dramedy is awesome. I like that. Bit of and, light and darkness. Bit of light and bit of darkness as uh, well. And you know, I'm I'm. Just to expand on that a little bit, I believe that comedy isn't really a genre. I think genre, comedy is a device you can use in any genre, but I think comedy itself isn't a genre. It really yeah, is wow. a device. Wow. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, blockbuster or indie? Um, oh, it depends on my mood. Um, probably indie. Yep, and the last one is when are you most inspired? When I'm communicating with people really well. Yeah. And if I'm having a very honest, real, personal conversation with someone and I I realise that people are actually able to have these kind of conversations and I feel really inspired to make stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. I really like that one. That keep yeah. like honest communication inspires you. That's awesome. I like that. Awesome. So basically, I kind of just want to get into it and like get to know your beginnings in the industry and find out what 
what sparked this interest to be in this industry for you and if it was young or you got into it later on tell yeah. me everything um, <laughs> everything so i started as a musician when i was young uh when I started being a musician when I was five, meaning I was forced to get piano lessons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was, was used to doing something in the performing arts field and then would always perform in primary school and high school. So I was used to being on stage, was in bands in high school. Got into acting when I was 12 with my own volition, took myself to my local theatre, started to do community theatre. Um, was probably pretty shit when I first started, <laughs> like everyone. Um, and I just learned just learned to imitate the better people I was on stage with as I got older. Um, and then got into a conservatory for music when I was a little bit older, which was kind of by accident. I was told to audition by my girlfriend at the time and I didn't expect to get in, but I did get in. Yeah, wow. Uh, so I kept doing the music thing. Um, there was also a really good acting course at this conservatory as well. So I met a bunch of kids there um, and I just uh, I just kind of joined this small acting troupe right before I got into university and it just happened that this small acting troupe was also kind of tied into uh, or, or kind of had some of the people who just got into the acting course in this uh, conservatory as well. So the two worlds sort of gelled together, which yeah. was cool. Um, yeah. I was studying music, but then I was still heavily involved and still doing all the acting stuff. Yeah. Um, and then... Finished, finished my course at uni. Well, dropped out of my course at uni after two and a half years. <laughs> Gigged a lot as a musician. Um, made some pretty good money. It was like, this is a pretty cool lifestyle. Kept acting on the side. Uh, moved to Melbourne a couple of years after that. Uh, yeah. Just for more stuff. Bigger scene in everything. Acting, music, everything. Oops, that is an alarm to tell me you're about to interview me. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and then the company or starting a company the idea for that came from i had myself a small home studio being mm -hmm. a musician and my partner had just done her first professional voice demo she wouldn't pay someone to do it and i listened to it and it wasn't great and i was like you know what we have all the gear here let me try and let let me make you a voice demo and let's yeah. see how that turns out and it turned out better than the one she just paid quite a bit of money for. So we're like, hey, you know what? Let's start doing voice demos for our friends. Because uh, we've been actors. Both of us have been actors for a long time at that point. Um, we had a pretty good bank of people we knew. And a lot of them didn't really know they needed voice demos. or well, that was a thing. So they were all of a sudden like, wow, I'm missing my voice demo on my acting profiles. Yeah. So I had this big influx. And I think I did over 200 voice demos, bunch yeah. of lots, lots of clients over a couple of years, um, which was great because I was also directing a bit for the theatre company that, that I was in. I just started doing that. Yeah. So my directing chops just went up really fast. Mm. Um, I mean, my, my directing chops and my style, if I talk to other directors or acting coaches and how they direct, it's like, whoa, teach me, give me, give me more information. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so this, so my, like this, co the company though started in Melbourne, right? So you were doing the mm -hmm. the voice memos and stuff in Melbourne to begin with. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. a bunch of boys okay. down with Melbourne. Yeah. And then we also began the pivot to filming while we were still in Melbourne as well. Yeah. Because um, we, we both always, you know, actors want footage for their reels, constantly looking for projects, mm. jumping on Star Now. Do you remember Star Now? Oh, God, Star, Star <laughs> Now. Wow. That's actually, though, like, I feel like in the beginning, Star Now is really good. Same. I feel like when it came out, everyone was like, you know what? It's hit and miss. Some of these projects are going to be shit, but some could be pretty good. Yeah. Um, so Tam and I were both. Tam is my partner, by the way, yeah. for anyone who's listening. Yeah, if um, anyone we wants both, to know. <laughs> both trying to build our portfolios and just get more media for our acting reels. Mm. And uh, you always hit a wall. There's always a problem. Like footage just never seems to be available once you've done the project or it's really bad or the director wasn't great or the sound is a complete mess or something always goes wrong. Yeah. We were like, you know what? Let's just buy our first camera <laughs> and see how hard it is to have a crack at making your own stuff. Yeah. Um, and we bought, I bought a Panasonic GH5. It's the exact camera that I bought. <laughs> and it was this little groundbreaking Panasonic camera that had a video codec inside of it mm. that was usually only in the realm of top-end video cinema cameras. And it yeah. was one of the first times ever a company had put this cinema-type codec inside this little DSLR-looking body. And I was like, that, I want that, because if I get that, it doesn't cost a fortune, but it's a great launching pad to learn how to film stuff. Um, yeah, of course. Worked my ass off in this weird gig for a month. Nothing to do with entertaining. <laughs> just, <laughs> if, I, if I just work this one random gig for a month, I'm going to use all the money and buy this camera. And it's exactly what I did. Yeah. Got the camera. I just started filming the crap out of everything. Uh, me and Tam made a bunch of skits and little things that were, that were fine. It was mostly just figuring out how to use this camera properly. Yeah, uh, of course. And then it kind of sparked the interest again of some of the actors in our networks, some of our friends. We're mm-hmm. like, hey, you guys are actually, this looks quite good. Do <laughs> you do demo reel scenes? I'm like, you know what? We don't. But if you give me 50 bucks, I'll film one for you. Yeah. Uh, and that that's really it. In a nutshell, that was it. We made yeah. it. And instantly I went from this kind of like, hey, being an actor and waiting around for roles and, being a musician and gigging and stuff is great. It's really fun. But, you know, if I start filming stuff, I get to do everything, right? Yeah. I get to – and, I mean, even back then, I was composing the music for things we were filming. I quickly, I quickly learned that you need to never sleep if you want to film, edit, direct, write, act, and compose. No way. Yeah. Like, all right, what's the one thing in here that doesn't make the most sense was the composition side. Yeah. Um, but I, I realized the creative control behind it. I was like, you know, I, I filming this art form of filming, I suddenly have creative control of all the artistic fields because it combines them all into one. Yeah, exactly. This is really cool. And yeah, I kind of got addicted early on and then. I just kept filming stuff. I kept taking projects or a little bit out of my comfort zone to get better. Mm. There were projects that would come along every now and then. I was like, no way. I can't do that. Uh, <laughs> and then yeah. you just take it and then just run with it and <sighs> see how you go. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Without going too big. 
without like mm. always staying modest enough so you don't take that gig and go yeah i could do that and you rock up and you're like why the hell am i here yeah I've exactly always avoided that. i had one of those gigs as a musician <laughs> when i was studying i thought i was a bit of a hothead went in and the head of the jazz course at this university had one of the best tightest cover bands in the country oh my god piano player and he was like yeah yeah just fill in for me at this gig i'm not going to be available yeah. I filled in and it was the worst gig of my life mm. because I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, I learned very fast. <laughs> I learned a lot from that one gig. Mm. What made you, like, what was your motivation to, like, go from, like, music to then to just, like, signing up for your, like, community theatre? Like, did you just have, like, did you always have this thing that you wanted to be an actor or, like, kind of just come, like, randomly? I did, yeah. I was always, was always, always interested in it. Mm-hmm. I, I was always interested in, I always had an inkling of a good actor or good actors are the most honest, open, genuine people I've ever seen. I always kind of clicked that that's what they're doing in front of a camera. Like, yeah. they're not acting. They're just... They really just don't give a shit. Mm. Like they, they are so connected and they are so honest and they will just look at you in the face and they will just talk to you. Yeah. And I always kind of was like, you know, I, I feel like there is part of that person inside of me where, you know, everyone puts on a, a facade in yeah. real life. You, you sure. never present as your true self in real life. Yeah. And there are those... I'm sure anyone who listens to this knows exactly what it's meant to be called and what I'm talking about, but it's like the the three selves, the selves you present to the world, the self you present to yourself and then the real you. Yeah. Like those, those three things. Um, And I think even at, cause I think when I say 12, when I first started doing stuff and it's that age as a kid, you're getting in puberty's kicking in, everything's confusing. And I think Mm. you just reach out for that who is my real self like what what are these changes i think yeah the the music music is great music is also about finding who you are Mm. but i think uh it's a bit more isolated where performance or acting is more you're finding who you are by interacting yeah and then communicating with people um and I never saw it as like, a, I want to be an actor over a musician. I saw it more as, well, I've been on stage a lot already for music as a kid. Yeah. Um, so walking on stage in a different form wasn't too much of a transition. Yeah, it was just like a different, different, different environment. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, I, I had no idea. I, I was, my mindset at the time was just learn my lines really well, memorize all my lines, walk out on stage and see what happens. And, yeah. you know, even even now, like 20 years later, that is still part of my mantra is just to learn your lines so well mm-hmm. that when you walk out on that stage or you get in front of the camera, doesn't you're not really thinking about how you're going to act or react. You just... Yeah. Just and you're just out. being free. Like, you're just free. Like, you can just let it go and then just be... Do what yeah. you need to do. Like, do you find that when you work with other actors that are just kind of like on you being like on the director's side, do you find that it's a lot easier to direct an actor that's just kind of let the words go? Like they know the words so just let it go and they can just really concentrate on what you, yeah. you want to take I mean, the script. 
You know, it's, it's, it's funny. I was having a conversation with someone literally last night and they are an acting teacher and they also go see other acting teachers and coaches and stuff. So mm. we're talking about techniques and this and that and the other, cause I'm, I'm not a heavily trained actor, not whatsoever. Yeah. Um, the theatre is kind of like very much a great training ground. It is. And we, we, had, we did discuss that last night that I, I think I did something pretty nuts, like 30 shows in six years or something. Yeah, holy shit. That's actually really good training though. Like, so, I mean. Really good training. Yeah, because you're constantly on, you're constantly playing characters, you're constantly getting your ass kicked and yelled at by people who do know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're constantly, you're constantly imitating. Yeah. Because every show you go into, you're like, okay, you, you see the best actors. You get into a show yeah. and you, you see the cast and you go for that first read and you go, whoa, like you and you were really good. There's always the couple. Yeah, or exactly. One or two actors, you're like, wow, you are like, you are really good. What are you doing here? Mm. So then you just lock on. You go, okay, I'm just going to watch you, watch what you do, listen to what you're doing. Um, so, yeah, it was yeah. it was great training. Mm-hmm. But the, your question about um, working with actors who just let go, and I'm doing air quotes right now, as I say, it's <laughs> to <laughs> let go and just be free and let the words speak for themselves. All that yeah. <laughs> Speaking to this acting trainer last night, Every single approach, every single approach to acting and training and workshops and exercises is to that exact same end goal. Yeah. It's, the end goal is identical, identical. It doesn't matter how you approach it. And I, one of the first pieces of theatre I ever directed back in Melbourne, I co-wrote. I was going to write it, but I went away on holiday or something for some. Mm. It's like I booked it and then I got handed the show to direct. And I was like, mm. shit, well, I booked this holiday. You know, I'm going to go away. You guys start writing it. And I remember when I was away, I typed up this massive thing of notes of what I, like we'd already kind of figured out what the show was going to be and a, a loose structure for it. And I wrote out all these notes. When I got back, I found out that all the actors had just ignored my notes and they'd written their own show. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and you know what? I didn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a what the hell happened moment. It was a... Because I knew all the actors personally and I knew that they were good. I knew the majority of them were good. We had a very broad range of skill in this one show. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? In, in their defense, I was not present. They were working together. They were workshopping together. So what they made is definitely going to be better than what I would have presented yeah. anyway. Uh, so it was more, okay, let's turn this into something really fascinating and get really creative and really quirky with it. And we did great. We sold out every night. It won some awards. It did really, really well. And in this show, in the cast, we had my favourite actor out of everyone was, he was kind of a semi-professional stand-up comedian. Yeah. He had no acting training whatsoever. And he, he had that really dry, flat perspective on the world. He was a very funny stand-up comedian, like very mm. matter-of-fact. <laughs> never put on a show just the world is what it is and that translated brilliantly into acting yeah his natural attitude of just he would just stand on stage and not really do anything until prompted he would just stand there and he would just listen and he would react you know yeah. you hear that saying acting yes. is not acting, it's reacting 
Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't forced. It was just because he's a dude who was used to standing on a stage with a mic, saying something funny, and then just saying something else, and then mm. saying something else. And talking to his audience, I guess. Interacting yeah. with his audience and listening. And, uh, and then the weakest actor of the troupe was a young guy who was very gung-ho, hundred back-to-back acting classes, coaching all the time. Yeah. And you could see he was so in his head. He was so heady. He was so caught up on technique and doing this and doing that and making yeah. sure this is right, overthinking everything, that he's forgotten that he can just know his lines. And it's like, dude, you, you don't have to think about anything. You can just stand there hanging out in a room and just mm. listen. So yeah. I, it's, uh, yeah, as a director, I don't know. It's, you can't, it's like you can't just tell a person just, Stand there and be normal. That's not an actable direction. Yeah. Um, it's always kind of fishing. Like, even last night I had my eyes open very recently again. I'm not against acting classes whatsoever. I think, mm. I think people should try a few different ones, find one that works for them, but learn that it is not, it's not a set in stone rule. People are just playing. Even your teachers are just playing and they've figured out a way that works for them to play in the yeah. best way. And exactly. they're just trying to, they're imparting the knowledge to you. They're not forcing it on you. They're just sharing what they've learned. Yeah, exactly. And I think you, you actually get told that, like, just take everything, like, take what you want in and leave what you don't, like, at the door. Do you know what I mean? Like, if something doesn't work for you, just leave it. Like, you don't have to do everything. I feel like once you, if, once you get all these, you get taught by so many teachers. If you take everything with you and like try to do everything when you're actually putting it into practice, you just get like too overwhelmed and you're, you it takes you takes you out of what you're supposed to be doing. I my my answer at the beginning of this interview to uh, when I answered with what inspires me of just having really good, genuine, open conversation. Mm. I think if you if you learn to master that skill in real life. If you don't shy away from awkward conversation, if you can embrace it, if you can look people in the eyes and talk to them about stuff that really matters and just really learn to enjoy those kind of conversations and realise they're okay to have and, and they're real conversations. They're not conversations about what show did you watch this week? How's the weather? Mm. What are you, What new tattoo did you get? Yeah. Like real, real genuine conversation about your life and deep connected things. I think if you do that in real life as a person, you bring that to stage and you are astronomically a better actor. Yeah. I think that I think handling those conversations as your true self. So when you have those moments and you bring them to the stage, you are so hyper aware of when you're putting on your fake self. Yeah. You go, well, I, I know how awkward I feel when those conversations happen in real life, but I've learned to just, to just stay calm and relax and enjoy the deep conversations in real life. That when you're on stage, you're like, you know what, this dialogue, the majority of it is just a deep, intense conversation and I can stay perfectly relaxed and connected yeah. to it. Do you think- that's, my, that's my take. Yeah, no, that, take, that makes total sense. I feel like, well, acting is like communicating a lot of the time, whether it's like showing it or saying it, like you're still communicating. So if you can't really do that in- your real, real life. life it's gonna happen yeah. you're gonna there's gonna be that barrier there and you're not and you're not gonna be able to let 
that barrier go and actually mm-hmm. really listen to the other actor and what they're saying and then like reacting to that. It's like uh, actors, you say they, they can just switch it on and then when they're on, on screen, they just switch it on and then they switch it off. Like, what are you switching on exactly? Are you, are you saying that in real life you, you're just super fake and you lie to everyone and your conversation is superficial and you <laughs> put on this facade and then when you're on stage you turn on your real self and you're just honest? Mm. Like, why, why aren't you just being this honest person and just walking on stage as an honest person? Exactly. The exact same way. 100%. Do you think, well, do you think that starting your own business, like production business, has helped you, like, in your own, like, when you do do acting gigs, how do you feel like it's helped you in that sense? And then even, like, the production side of things, just knowing how to be around crew and things like that, I think it's helped you a yeah, lot. Yeah, massive, massively. Um, did my first big, big television commercial uh, in quite a while as an actor a few weeks ago. Um, and the amount of time between the last TVC I did and the TVC now, my own business has grown exponentially. So it was much bigger. So I met a lot more people in the industry. I've worked on bigger sets mm. as a, uh, a DP and a director. And stepping back into that environment as an actor uh the switch that's a good point to think about i think the last time i was in a tv commercial right every time i knew the camera was up and i was very much like all right all right like i'm i'm now relaxed and i'm calm and i'm, I'm ready to be on the camera versus this time around it literally felt like i just kind of walked from the snack tent to the mark they told me to stand on mm. still just kind of like felt like i just walked from the snack tent did what i needed to do multiple takes and then just kind of walk back to the snack tent. Yeah. <laughs> Felt like I did nothing. Yeah. I was like, you know what, that, it's that. It's that, that sense of just, it normalizes everything because you realize you're, you're, that t- you're a tiny little part. You're yeah. one little part. You're like max, maximum your 10% of that whole production. And that's for narrative and commercial. The actors is a tiny, tiny little bit. Mm. the writing, the directing, the DP, even the editing, the calibrating, the score, all of that. That's the film. That's the product. That's the commercial. You are just one one little name on the list. It's just that that little name on the list is the actor's always the one that's glorified the most. But they actually, most of the time, most of the time, do the least. Yeah. And where you're constantly trained as an actor to do less, do less, do less, do less. Because I think you feel like your job is to, I am the film. Jeez, I'm carrying the film. Everything I do is the film. It's not. No, no, no. Mm. You just you just need to play your objective. You just need to play your action. Mm, exactly. And the film will be made around you. We will make it using that little part that you're giving us. Um, and that, I think I was always aware of that. I think most actors are, but I think when they get on sets or they, they get their gear yeah. or they get a role, they they battle that like they go into actor mode or their their mm. head switches and you're like oh that's oh no I've, I'm like I've got to be on I've got to do this shoot because everyone's going to be upset if I mess up that's a big yeah. thing as well actors if directors want uh, other takes and reshoots and just something goes wrong and the actor always thinks it's them they always have that moment of oh I, yeah. I stuffed up I missed my mark I, I stuffed up a line I 
Mm-hmm. I didn't say this properly. My performance sucked. Almost all of the time, it's a technical thing. Yeah. Focus pull, I missed focus. The frame wasn't quite right. Or the, the director didn't like the frame. Producer didn't like the frame. Uh, something happened with the sound. The lights is a little bit off. Something's wrong. It's very seldom the actor's fault. Yeah. I do think that that, like, you had somewhat of that mentality before you started production and do you think that if that's where a lot of, if, if actors don't really know a lot about production, that's where that mentality of them thinking it's them like comes from? Like yeah. you get closed in a little bit when you're just being an actor and you're just training as an actor, I think it closes you in and kind of puts blinders on from really looking yeah. at the bigger picture. I think so because I, coming from theatre, right, it's so different because there's no cameras or anything and you're, in, you're on and in your performance basically mm-hmm from go to end, right? I mean, you do walk off stage and you, you if you choose, you can change who you want to be or change. I, I've never really performed like that. I walk off stage and I feel the same as when I walk back on. Yeah. Um, but as far as, so actors, how they feel on sets is, is quite different than how an actor feels on stage. But I do think, I really do think acting coaches these days, I don't, I don't know how you would do it. Mm need to talk about the technical side more, definitely. They talk about, I mean, they, they do everything they need to do to try and make you a calm, relaxed, honest person. So when you get your dialogue, you, you approach your dialogue from a calm, collected, honest perspective. Like that's how yeah. you're going to say your lines. But they don't, they, they very seldom mention like, Things as simple as that. If there's multiple takes, it's not going to be you. It will be the director. It'll be the DP. It'll be a sound thing. Mm. Uh, even even talking about, it's a thing, like you don't want to overload your actors with information you, you don't think they'll need. But things like focal lengths on lenses. If you know, on that TVC, I was constantly eyeing, there were three cameras. I was constantly eyeing the primes I were using. I think one was a 16, one was a 35, one was probably a 50. And in my head, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a very clear idea of what each of those cameras is visually seeing and what each one's purpose was serving. I saw the 16 and I go, well, that camera is the nice, big, beautiful white because we're, we're out at Vasquez Rocks. Mm. I was like, so that camera is capturing the scenery. It's probably stopped down so everything's sharp and in focus. Really wide. The 35 is probably a mid-shot because I was playing a certain action. Yeah. Something they needed to get for the ads. So like the 35s capturing my action and then the 50 would have been a tight shot so it would have been capturing our laughs our smiles on our faces so i was like all right three cams you that's what you're covering all three um and it it didn't affect my performance in the sense that i'm going to act differently yeah it it almost affected my performance in the way of (laughs) instead of standing there going i've got three cameras on me i go oh cool 16 35 50 yeah. Cool. So if, if anything, I'm not in my head whatsoever. It keeps mm. me so present in the space. And even chatting to the DPs, chatting to the director during takes, in a way that I feel like if I chatted to those guys just as an actor five years ago, they're like, who the hell is this guy? Shut the fuck up. Just being yeah. an actor. <laughs> but it feels different. And you can tell they know it's different. Because as soon as you start chatting, they engage with you instantly because they know it's and it's not something you can fake 
They yeah. know that you're also a director. They know that you're also a DP and a filmmaker and they just get into conversation with you and you can help. You can help greatly. You can already be opening yourself up to cam. You can already be positioning yourselves in ways as an actor that you know will help without even having to ask. And it makes you look like a better actor. Yeah. You, you know what the light's doing. You know where shadows are. It's, it's all, and even if you don't want to get technical enough to be able to move yourself without direction, which you probably shouldn't do anyway, mm. it just, it entirely keeps you out of your head. Yeah. It makes you realise you're just doing a job. Everyone else around you is just doing a job. It's just work. Mm. You know, it kind of, it helps to, uh, it pulls it down from its pedestal. Yeah. You know, I think some of the best filmmakers or best content makers I've met all have this same attitude of it's just a movie, man. Or, it's just a, it's just a this, it's just a short film. It's just a TV ad. It's just a music video. Yeah. You know, we're not actually, we're not solving world hunger. We're not. <laughs> yeah, we're not. Yeah, we're, not, yeah, we're just literally, we're telling stories. We're telling and, stories and playing and having fun. Yeah. And it's it's been put on this pedestal that's so high that it makes people clammy. It makes people fake and stiff and wooden. I, I think people have forgotten that it's just all for fun. It's all for fun. Yeah. Have fun. And be, <laughs> have fun. If someone's going to yell at you for being a shit actor, then still have fun. Just be yeah. like, all right, shit. All right. <laughs> Uh, tell me, how, how, let's keep having fun. Tell me how it could be better. What do you want me to do? Yeah, exactly. But so with um, Young One, which is your production company, I think we forgot to mention that at the beginning, but we'll mention it now. Um, when you started that, did you, because you started it in Melbourne and now you've moved to LA, did you have any kind of inkling of, like, how big it was going to be, like, or did you just kind of start it just for you and Tam and then it just, when you went to LA, did it like get bigger or how, how's everything in LA right now with it and how did, it, how did that transition kind of happen, I guess? We'll go from there. You know, I think, I think for me I was always, as an actor, I was, I was hit and miss. Sometimes I would get into a production or I'd get into a show and I'm like, wow, I really didn't think I'd get into this. Mm-hmm. This is really good. And I'd get in and the director would love me and the performance would be great. And then sometimes I'd audition for things I knew I'd get into and I didn't get in. I was like, yeah. hmm, some things I'd get into and I thought it was great. And the director hated me, thought I was the worst actor in the world. Yeah. And then the week before, I, I, I literally won an award, a really good Melbourne Theatre Acting Award for Best Actor. And then literally a week later, this director was like, you're the worst actor I've ever worked with. I was oh like, that's God. This is interesting. This is an eye-opening moment. <laughs> this is the most subjective, <laughs> crazy thing in the world. And I think each each of those things were the truth. I think what I won the award for is I had a brilliant playing partner and the script in the role I was playing was perfectly suited to me, right place, right time. Yeah. The other role where the director thought I was the worst actor ever, I think it was born out of, I was probably one of the only males that auditioned for the part, so he didn't have any other choice <laughs> but to give it to me. Thought he could work with me. I wasn't hitting the beats of the marks. So I couldn't find the character he wanted me to. And, you know, the, the, the show went on, we did it, and we parted ways. <laughs> uh, but because of that, because of that inconsistency, it's not like, yeah, I was this amazing actor and I was landing every gig. 
Mm. I had with the voice demo thing and getting the camera around the same time. It was like, well, you know what? I don't want to get a normal job. I hate working normal jobs. I love being a creative. Um, I kind of dimmed down the gigging, the music side of things, because it was just quite tiring doing gigs, late night gigs all the time. You lose your weekends. You lose sleep. It's a lot of gear to cart around. So the theatre stuff was taking over. Mm. And I was like, you know what? Well, I'm not going to just be an actor because I can't make a living from doing this. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough, whatever it is. And the business, I was like, well, learning this stuff, this is another source of income. This is great. So there was never a goal. There was never, I never, ever had an ambition of like, I'm going to start this production company. I'm going to make all this incredible stuff. I'm sure if I did, the company would actually be a lot bigger by now. But, it but I mean, work. like, also not, though, because I feel like when you have too much of a, like, ending thing, you kind of, it kind of. You can burn out. You exactly. can, it's sort of like you can approach something with too much passion instead of letting it organically yeah. happen, how this business still is today. Um, so that's, that was really the impetus. It was more, this is a great little source of income. That means I don't really have to work a nine-to-five normal gig. Yeah. And I can still be creative. And I can, even if it's not acting all the time, I can learn how to direct. I can learn how to run a camera. I can start learning how to be a cinematographer. I'm doing that in air quotes because I still <laughs> don't class myself as a cinematographer because I know some of my mates here have masters. They can shoot on film cameras and they're amazing. But I have I've taught myself entirely when it comes to being a cinematographer by yeah watching a ton of tutorials and being on sets and working with people and hiring people who are much, much better than me. And again, Mm. imitating. Same thing I did with acting. Watching them, imitating them, learning how to get certain looks. Um, And I I think the business has grown organically because purely from I enjoy enjoy what I do and I Mm. keep keep making stuff and I keep getting better gear and I keep taking bigger gigs and I keep wanting the product to look better. That's a big thing. I look back at old projects. I'm like, man, that did not look good. (laughs) And I I think I constantly do that. I constantly look back and go, Oh, I don't, I don't quite at the time. I thought it was amazing. Mm. And I constantly look back and like, Oh, you know, I think I could have made that look better. And then I look at my newer stuff and I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. I definitely learned how to fix that mistake. They yeah. definitely learn how to make that look better. And every that's gig- positive. Like you need to, you need to not really like the stuff that you did before the stuff that you're mm-hmm. doing now. Otherwise, you're like, yeah. "Oh, am I actually learning um, anything?" Yeah, and I don't think I ever will. And I, I love seeing gaps close. Even as an actor, I love seeing gaps closing. And what I mean by that is, as as a director, if I see the the most. Uh, exposure I get to directors is watching director interviews on YouTube or making of stuff. Mm. And you see them doing things and saying things you're like, ah, oh, that's how I would do that. That's exactly how I'd say that. That's exactly how I've done that in something I've done. So you go, great. I'm on the right path. Yeah. I'm going in the right direction. And then as far as cinematography, I'll, I'll look at movies I like or frames I like or things I like. And you start to realize you know how to do that. You go, ah, oh, I know how they did that. Or yeah. I wonder what gear, or you look at a frame, you're like, I can see all the layers of light they've got in there. Or I can see how they diffuse that. I can see how they bounce that light. Mm. Or you find yourself asking questions all the time. You're like, man, that's, 
that's interesting. How did they do that? How did they do this? Yeah. And then so those the gaps are closing is in instead of looking at something going, man, that's amazing. I have no idea how they did that. You find you naturally start going, ah, oh, you know, that gap's closed. And I, you start going, I, I think I could do that. I think I could hit that. Same as acting. You, you see great performers and you, mm. you watch them. You're like, it's a flawless performance. And then you see your own acting. You go, oh, I can see myself acting. But then the gap's closed and you look back at yourself and you go, wow, you know, I wasn't acting there at all. I can see that. Yeah. I can see how truthful that was. And it's, it's always the same. You see that kind of the thing you strive for and you think is impossible. Mm. You look back at your own work and you slowly see the gap getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And you go, ah, you know what? I, I understand how you approach that performance. And yeah. I can see the character you've developed there and how you've made it so natural. I can see how you've lit that frame. I hear the director say something and I go, ah, yeah, I would have done the same thing. Five years ago, I had no idea what you're talking about. But now I go, ah, brilliant. Yes, that's what I would have done. A fast, quick result to get an honest performance. Yeah, awesome. uh, It's all all organic. You know, I do think if I'd, and I I learned this from music, I thought I was a really good musician when I was 22, when I got into the conservatory. Mm. And I quickly, very quickly found out I was not a good musician. <laughs> I was good by my friend standards and the small indie music scene in Perth. Yeah. Um, and then. But you also might be putting too much pressure on yourself. Like you probably were good. I was okay. But my lecturer is very, you ever seen the movie Whiplash? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty close. That's pretty close to what those conservatories are like. Oh my uh, god! I, I once had a lecturer literally shove me off the piano stool and slam the lid in front of the whole band. Oh my god! Yeah, like physically, it'd be like hip and shouldered me off the stool angrily and bang, slam the lid shut. Oh, that's just, terrible. Just when I was like <laughs> pretty close, but it it made me the the two and a half years that I was there made me better than it, it would have taken me ten to twenty years, if ever if I kept going on my own. Yeah. Versus how much better I got there by getting my ass kicked every day for two and a half years. And I kind of think that sometimes personally as an actor, I do not thrive in, I do not thrive in slightly dictatorship cultish type environments. Yeah. Which all acting schools are. They all yeah. are. And no fault of any teacher ever. No. My call them past traumas and triggers, whatever they are. Mm. don't allow me to thrive in that environment. So as a performer, I always have to find, I always have to find my own ways to get better at acting. But a lot of it is by listening and taking in information that I get watching myself perform a lot and knowing what I see as a good performance and adapting myself to just imitate what I see as a good performance and Mm. discovering what I'm feeling in myself as I'm imitating so I can replicate it. Yeah. Um, but I do think the technical things like film school, uh, mm. film school, yeah, film school and studying to be a director or studying to be a cinematographer, I do often wonder, I'm like, hmm, mm. how good would I be now? How yeah. good would I be right now if I had gone that route? Um, but there is the such a line. conflicting thing because it's like it is. Yeah. you can learn so much off like YouTube and Every art, there's every like 
so many resources you can learn from to do these things. And you could probably do it quicker in the amount of time that someone would do it at university. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm still kind of conflicted about that too because when I went to school, film production, like I was so grateful yeah. for it. But it yeah. wasn't really specific to one role. It was more like the bachelor's kind of you learn everything and then I guess you take from what what you like you take and then you, the you kind of work on it more. But then it's like, well, I've just kind of like got this massive hex hex debt now and I'm just like, well, <laughs> You kind of reevaluate, like, did you learn that much? Like, I don't even know. Like, I think because I've still got a lot to learn. So I guess you're never not learning, but it's like, could I have done this in a better way? I think you always think of that. I think the thing with uni, it's just it's more disciplined and you have yeah. to get things in on time and yeah. you have to do these on, you have to do thing, assignments and things on a consistent basis. Whereas if you're just learning, like on your own, you you have that freedom to just be like, oh, I'll watch this, I'll learn this now, I'll do this now, rather as like uni, you can't. So I think that's the whole point maybe about that, if you want to do that, get into a bachelor's degree. That's more. That's a, that's a great point. The, mm-hmm. It's, I guess, accountability, right? At university, yeah. you have to exactly. be accountable because you got to hand in your assignment, you got to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think, one of the reasons why the company grew pretty quick is because I was unconsciously, subconsciously keeping myself accountable because I didn't want to work and I needed money. Yeah. So I was always like, well, I'm just going to do gigs. I'm just going to film. I'm just going to make stuff. Yeah. Including, exactly. even, if it's, even if it's terrifying and I'm just faking it. I did a lot of faking as a director mm. in DA. A lot of just putting on a brave face and pretending like I knew what the fuck I was doing. Um, but I always had I always had the modesty in myself that even if I'm faking, I would make sure I would try and bring in people better than me. Yeah. And I would be honest with them. I would always be honest with them. Not like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I've hired you to do the work for me in the sense of let's get this job done. Let's shoot this <laughs> thing. I'm going to let you do what I hired you to do, bro, because you are, you are way more qualified. Do what you do. I'm going to watch you. And I'm going to just like tell you what I need, tell you what I want. Uh, and in a way that's letting them know, I'm like, look, you're much better than me. That's why I wanted yeah. you to do this gig. But in the bigger picture on set, you know, running around, controlling people, letting stuff, letting things play out the way they should. One of the biggest things I shot early on here was a big music video in the backyard of a share house I was living in, in Hollywood. Yeah. This was a very big house, had a very big backyard. I think we had about 20 extras. We had the lead performer. We had this influencer who had like five or six million subscribers. Wow. What a love interest for the music video. We had two support actresses for the, the lead artist. Mm. And I hired this guy. I can't remember how I met him. He was wonderful. He just finished his master's degree in cinematography so he knew everything yeah and he was great he never complained he never we had this amazing relationship Mm. and i from the get-go would always joke about the power of joking and being jovial on set by the way i can't stress how important that is how important that is to hell with running these tight serious focus sets there is no point it is the dumbest thing you can do. Mm. You're playing. And if, if you have that fun, jovial environment with 
a hierarchy that should be understood just if shit hits the fan and stuff needs to get done, but as little as a, of a hierarchy as you can possibly have on a set. Mm. The director should be able to joke around with the sound guy just as much as the two extras who are buddies who are right there for the day can joke around. As long as you get the job done and you work. And yep. the power of that, of me being able to jokingly always talk to this incredible DP, and he was running as a grip and a gaff on this yeah. shoot. I was running as a DP. Mm. And I would always be like, bro, you are so much... You should be on this camera right now because you know what you're doing. I don't. I'm just asking you to make it look pretty for me. Yeah. And I would constantly just be joking about that at the whole gig, telling him, like, he knows what he's doing, so I'm giving him full creative control. Yeah. And because of that, he never felt stifled. He always felt comfortable to just paint and create with whatever he wanted. But he would always come back and be like, Maddie, what do you think, man? Do you like it? I'm like, bro, if you did it, I freaking love it. It looks amazing. Mm. So he constantly, we just had this really good back and forth. And at the end of, and I used him for a lot of work and he would yeah. constantly be like, if you want, ever want me to jump on the camera and do all this, I can. If you just want to have a break and chill, mm. like, do it and I can just jump on it. Yeah, and we just that's such a nice, a nice way to do things rather than make nice it way to do things. And we, we had this other guy and I met both these guys around the same time because they just had just done the film course together and just finished mm-hmm. their master's. And uh, this guy went on to be one of the cinematographers for Gronish. He was working on Gronish. Yeah. He just, that League of Legends animated thing mm-hmm. that just came out on Netflix, he was something to do with the DP and cinematography and that. So he's a, he's a top-end guy working really well, same age as yeah. me, a little bit younger, maybe about 30. Um, and exact same guy. I pulled him into some gigs uh, along with this other guy. And, like, the rapport we had with each other was so mm. good. And I was by far the least experienced. But little little positive things, filming with them and working with them on small projects, a lot of them my own projects, and then this guy going on to film things like Gronish, he would speak to me two weeks later and be like, do you remember that thing we filmed a year ago? It was like an hour-long <laughs> mockumentary film thing. We had a week to film it, and we were like, I wonder how this is going to turn out. And it's yeah. like, it turned out 90% of what we thought. We're really happy with it. It's like, you know, this is better. And we filmed this with five people. And this yeah. looked better than what we just did with Gronish the first season. And it took six months and 200 people. Wow. And it's comments like that where I'm like, okay, okay. You know, this is, yeah. <laughs> I'm learning a lot. I'm yeah. learning so much, so fast. And I really but- admire that you have, like you have that mentality of being like, okay, I don't know everything and I'm going to get people that know more than me and learn from them. And mm-hmm. that's like a Never. really good mentality to have. I think everyone needs that like mentality. You can't no. be a creative and think no. there's no there's no goal to being a creative. There's no end to it. It's not like you learn everything. You're like now I am the master creative. Yeah. <laughs> I know how to do everything. Doesn't I mean, best like believe there are people out there that think they're so good that they will not accept anyone that thinks that they're better than them. It's just so odd. It's kind of like it's a weird analogy, but it's kind of like here's red, green, and blue. Here's three colors. Yeah. And someone go would go, I can I can do everything you can possibly do with these three colors. Just watch me. Versus mm. someone looking at those three colors and being like, "What do you mean, do everything? You, you never could. Yeah, you you could start 
in a lifetime you could spend trying to do something with these three colors and you maybe do like one percent mm. you know what i mean yeah it's like and, it's, and the the evolution of art itself changes with culture and if it's it's like culture and society would have to stand still for you mm. to try and do it all the the creativity of everything evolves and moves much faster than our ability to capture it and work with it yeah you humans are just sort of dragged along for the ride that we've created ourselves yeah Definitely. It's, it's a strange thing. We run a very open set, always. We we are no no idea is a bad idea yeah. if happy accidents happen all the time on set. And it's if someone has an idea or someone says something. I'm gonna I'm gonna segue just for a second. Tam did a mm. Tam did a big TVC a, a while back, back maybe about three months ago. Yeah. And it was an overnight shoot. It was for, I'm not going to say exactly who, it was for a well-known battery brand. (laughs) (laughs) And an overnight shoot rocked up, full budget, like one of these TVCs that has the budget of a feature film. So they had too much stuff, way too much stuff. And it was interesting. She came home and she's in the same mindset as me now. She knows Mm. exactly how directors speak, how DPs speak. She knows what's going on. Yeah. And... She was speaking to the DP and he was saying they're just going to shoot it. They're not quite sure what the ad is yet. And they're just going to shoot a lot of stuff and make it in post. And that blew my mind because I reckon that TVC had a budget of a few million dollars. Mm. And I was like, geez, I was sure if you'd asked me, I would have been like, no, no, this, this TVC has definitely been in pre-production for a while. They've shot this, yeah. they've got the storyboard, they know exactly what they're doing. Nope. It's crazy. You know, we're just we're gonna just shoot a bunch of different things, give ourselves options, and we're gonna see what we can make in, in post. Oh my god. But what was fascinating was it was not a very fluid open ideas set. Yeah. But Sam was saying she's never been on a set where the DP and the director have hated each other <gasps> and butted heads <laughs> oh so much that the shoot was just it was an overnight shoot as well it was like five to nine or something five p.m to nine a.m oh yeah jesus it was like the amount of time the director and this dp spent arguing and purposefully she was saying that there was a sense that they were purposefully getting on each other's nerves to prove a point that's so terrible collaborative sets but and you know they were I don't want to get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure she was saying they were older. There were older people in the industry. Mm. The director and the DP were older, older people. And, and I think that's an, I think that's the thing. I think the older generation of makers, not old, older, because they're, they're not that old. Yeah. But the older generation of creators are very, very protective of their positions and their titles and their jobs. Mm, of course. What they do. Versus our generation now, because we have all this social media, we're all very used to being our own directors and and filmmakers and grabbing Mm. a camera and editing and doing it all ourselves, that when the sets get bigger and more expensive, the mindset's still there of, "Um, you know what, Mm. what's your idea on this? I'm I'm cool to listen. I'm I'm just the director. Yeah. Give me some input. If you think you have a good idea, tell me and let's see if we can work with it. Because I'm only one brain. I have all these other brains around me who all know what we're making. They all know the project we're doing. Yeah. If you have an idea or you see something, come to me and tell me. Mm. Because it might be a freaking eureka moment. 
And I don't care who you are on in this set. Like if there's something you see or you have this idea, throw it out there. Let's just yeah. create. Exactly. Good way so would you like, would you say that um, if, what would you say to someone that or an actor or whoever is trying to kind of start their own production company? What's like the one bit of advice that you would give them? Just make, just make stuff. Just mm-hmm. make, it's super, super cliche, but just make stuff and make stuff that makes you accountable. Um, lots of people make stuff for mm-hmm. YouTube and Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat stories, I think it's called as well. <laughs> they, they're making all this stuff. Uh, and I guess the accountability is there to their fans because they have to make content to yeah. keep their viewers happy. But I think there's a difference between... It's like if you say let's make a short film, mm. right, then you – it's very different than let's make a skit for yeah. Instagram or let's make a YouTube video. So mm. If you make a short film, you suddenly go, okay, well, if I'm going to make a short film, I have to start learning some few things. What kind of crew do I need? What are the roles of your crew? What, are you, what goes into it? Do I, do I need a script? <laughs> a lot of <laughs> – People who make social media, when they get a proper script for the first time, mm. they freak out. Yeah. Um, the accountability of going, can I make something like this? Mm. So make make stuff bigger. The reason there's a reason short films and short form content at a higher level uh, is where the awards begin. Because yeah. people are aware that you're putting in this extra effort and this extra step to go that far. Yeah. Um, make stuff, but make stuff that challenges you to go a little bit bigger, a little bit yeah. bigger, that involves other people, that suddenly involves a crew. Even the word crew freaks out a lot of people. Mm. It's like, oh, a crew, you mean I have to actually start thinking about like timetables, <laughs> call sheets and scripts and people in their separate departments. And I don't mean on a big level. It could be yeah. your mate. The wardrobe could be your girlfriend's sister mm. who has a cool wardrobe of random clothes. There's your wardrobe department. Yeah. Your, your mate who can pop down to the shops and buy a hundred bucks worth of snacks. There's mm. your crafty, you know, like. <laughs> just start yeah. like, just start like practicing what it's like to, to run a production company in that way, like on a short film or whatever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't don't get comfortable just filming random stuff on your phone either. Don't people, people <laughs> phones are fine. Phones are fine, but phone companies will tell you that you know the the latest whatever phone now has this cinematic mode. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that at all. Mm-hmm. Mobile phone cameras get better once every year. Cinema camera sensors get better every six months. Mm-hmm. So cinema cameras, the technology in that image, or good, just good mirrorless cameras with cinema-like codecs inside of them, just formats that they can film in, they're improving much faster than your phones are. So what do you think that means? Your phones are never going to catch up. They're, in fact, they're falling behind every year. They're getting better against phone competition, but when it comes to real cameras, they're not even close and they never will. Yeah, so of course. Get yourself away from your phones. Phones, phones also have a lot of computational photography and videography, mm-hmm. which means the software, the firmware in your phone or your device is doing a lot of the work for you. 
when you get on real cameras, there's no automatic. There's no automatic anything. There's no autofocus. There's nothing that's going to help you out with your exposure or your color. You need to learn to do all of that. Definitely. And all of that is storytelling. The phone mm. phone doesn't know what story you're telling. It's going to give you the mathematical perfect thing that it wants to give you. Yeah. You want to be able to control every aspect of what you're filming to tell a different story. And that, that includes underexposing, overexposing, focal length, when to pull focus and push focus, when to have shallow and, focus, when to have infinite mm-hmm. focus. And when you do, when you learn all that, though, you expand yourself, like, to do other things and go and get hired by other people. I feel like if you just, if you just do short films and things on your iPhone, you're not really, you're not really learning no. as much as you could be learning. No, I mean, look, to be honest, story, story is king. Mm. right story trumps everything so if you do have if you're a good writer or you know how to find good writers and you have a good idea and you can get it written mm. um, contradictory to everything i just said you can film it on your phone yes yeah. story is incredible but more often than not if that does happen someone will approach you and say let's reshoot this with proper gear yeah let's turn this into a proper thing and the small thing that was shot on your phone will end up being a proof concept. Yeah. Um, For sure. But, yes, yeah, story is king. Story, story, story. But make, make, just make stuff. I'm, I'm in a world at the moment where I don't really write anything. I write a lot of demo reel scenes very yeah. fast, which is really cool, across any genre you want, which is mm. really cool because it, it lets, lets me just flex my very basic writing skills in that contained environment constantly. Yeah. Uh, and then I make a product, even if it's just a short, sharp little product. Most of our demo scenes go from about a minute and a half up to about three and a half minutes. Mm. The three and a half minute one is usually an accident. We didn't realize it was going to be that long. Yeah. But we have quite a lot of those. It's like, you know, when you're getting into three and a half minutes, yeah. you, you can't call it a short film because it doesn't have the structure of a short film. They're still yeah. just... A lot of people will also think they're making a short film when they're just making a scene. They're mm. not actually making a film. There's, it doesn't have the structural elements to technically be able to call it a film. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm still making stuff. So sometimes I think in these interviews, if I'm, people ask me this question, I feel like a bit of a hypocrite because they go, mm. well, what, what short films or movies are you writing and making? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not at the moment. Yeah. I, I will direct. I'm constantly directing. I, I usually get called in quite often now to direct or film stuff. Mm. Um, but when it comes to writing and making purely my own content, for me, it's all demo reels at the moment. But I'm yeah. still creating. I'm still flexing my chops. I'm still, and I'm accountable because I have a client who's paying me money. Yeah, of course. And I keep upping my prices and I keep upping my prices because the, pro- the product keeps getting better. So I'm accountable there as well. I go, shit, I just up my price. I got to keep getting better. Yeah, exactly. I keep getting faster, at my, uh, especially faster, mm. because if you get better in the film world, it usually means you're going a bit bigger. And if you're going a bit bigger, it usually means you're out of time. Yeah. So uh, as you get better, you've got to get managing everything much better so you can go, crap, I've just doubled my workload but i still only have three hours to shoot this yeah 
where a year ago I was like three hours oh easy <laughs> easy and and you know you don't want to fall into that trap you don't want to go I could comfortably keep myself at this level create a, a product at this level be like oh three hours breezy doesn't even feel like I'm working mm. versus the last couple of demo reels I shot wrote directed filmed it did the editing do yeah. everything most of the time I knew even from what I wrote, I was like, well, I've written, I've written something quite tricky. Both of these yeah. things are tricky and quite different. They're very loaded. There's a lot to show and do. Mm. So I'm like, shit, I've got three hours. And also I wanted to make it look really good. Like I've, I've got the visual aspect up to a certain level. I can't sacrifice that now. Yeah. Like, oh man, go, go, go. Get in there three hours nonstop. <laughs> flat out. Until the owner of the venue is like, and your time's up. And you're like, oh. Just did it. Yeah. That's what I mean by make stuff at a level where you're, you're pushing yourself. Yeah. Pushing that accountability to freak yourself out. Definitely. And it makes you get better fast. Yeah. Challenge yourself. Challenge yourself. Definitely. Yeah. Put yourself in a situation where other people are going to yell at you if you don't do it. Yeah. Because if there's no one that's going to yell at you, you're not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. What's next? What's next for young one? And what's next for you? What's next? Um, we have a film at the moment that's doing really, really well. Uh, I directed it and co-cinematographer, Tam was cinematographer on this one. And uh, it was a bit of a learning experience for her. Like she wanted to be a DP, but I... I have more cinematography chops, so I was directing and then also kind of training and helping and sculpting, filming the thing at the same time. Great script, great cast, great subject matter. Mm. And uh, it's cleaning up. I think so far we're up to about 28 awards now. Wow. And uh, I'm winning Best Director a lot for this, which is really, really cool. I, I had a very specific idea of how I wanted this film to look and feel. Yeah, I didn't have to do much directing in terms of performances because the actors were the people who wrote the script, so they already had a pretty good idea of who the characters were. Yeah, uh, my main job was just to keep it in the the vibe, the look, and the feel of what the whole film needed to stay in. Yeah, and my sure. job was just to pull performances, just tug on them a little bit, just to keep them in the vein, keep the framing, keeping all the framing, all the lighting, the look, mm. and the feel, and the texture of everything just neatly in this. There's a little quirky kind of Wes Anderson style pocket. Yeah. Uh, it worked. It worked. Uh, it's doing really, really good. So mm-hmm. at the moment I'm, I'm sort of just reveling in that being like, wow, I have never won so many best director awards yeah. at festivals that matter for the first time. Mm, that's um, awesome. Yeah. Which is really cool. And then typically my life at the moment, is lots of editing, mm-hmm. lots of demo reels. I really am pushing myself at the moment knowing that because i'm quite constantly doing demo scenes for people um i'm using them to really push myself yeah how can i make this scene look extremely cinematic doing that in air quotes mm. but playing around with lighting playing around with lighting techniques that i've never been brave enough to before yeah like you know what? i'm just gonna have a crack because i know the product is still gonna hit the quality that i want yeah they're pushing myself there a lot um getting more creative music videos are still flowing in pretty steadily i have some returning clients 
who are releasing albums, so they're making music videos for every track on their album. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so good. Which is great. By well, yeah, for you. But that's a lot. Me, yeah. Holy crap. Both. Every track. Do that, is, is that even normal to do, like, video for every track? Um... <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. You know, yeah. as long as the client is paying me and I get to create and direct some cool stuff, I'm like, I'm yeah. fine. I'm I'm whatever. My my only thing is I like to add music videos to my library on my my website. Yeah. And I'm getting to a point where I'm like, have I got too many similar artists? Like mm-hmm. I've got 10 music videos from the same person. Do I really need that on my website? But then I go, well, I'm working, I'm getting better. I'm improving my chops. I'm making a bit of money. Yeah. Uh, so that that's happening at the moment. I was just speaking to someone who wants to make their first good series. I have an amazing director on board as the pilot episode director. And then him and I are going to kind of take the reins mm. and direct and keep going with the series. We're also, I think, in talked about co-writing the series. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Proper, proper tv and film writing proper structured yeah. writing like there are very particular beats very particular ways you write mm. uh, i'm really getting into that at the moment i'm i'm learning a lot about that personally yeah. so when i watch a film now i'm not just watching it the emotional journey i'm watching what the writers have done i'm looking mm. for the, beat, the turning points and trying to pick what page that would have been when you know when the character always has to die when the the hero yeah. Think they're about to triumph and they have that final disaster and writing for your character's choices are always made by their biggest flaw. All that yeah. kind of stuff. For sure. So awesome. uh, learning learning how to control that aspect of things. And I think that's coming from wanting to be a better director. Yeah. As well. Uh, and the better actor. Yeah. The better actor. If I know if I know the rules of the writing. Mm. I look at the character, I know the rules that were written into that part of the script so I can play them better as an actor. Yeah, of course. Wow. Um, so yeah. awesome. It's so awesome. And I wish you all the success in the world with what's to come. Thank you. Thank you guys you. are awesome. And you guys you guys are actually really awesome and good to work with. So Thanks I love so much. That. I'd love to work with you again. When yes. When I'm again. in LA, like hopefully yeah. soon. I've got some yeah. I've got some things that I've written. It's just like some of them need to be filmed in like what well, I want to film in LA. So hopefully, hopefully we can get there over there soon once all of this ends. Yeah, yeah. And I'll uh, I'll keep improving. So when we do make your stuff, it's really good because <laughs> I'm just getting better and better and learning more stuff. Yes. And you're always – I love that you're always open to learning. So that's that's really important. And I feel like anyone that has listened to this will realise – that you just need to be constantly open to learning. That's all creativity is. Or if you want to be a creative, you've got to just embrace and really enjoy learning your whole life. Exactly. Listening and learning is what it is. Exactly. Well, thanks, Manny. Thanks for coming on. And I look forward to seeing you when I'm back in LA. Yeah, I'll see you then. See ya. See you later. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can find us on whatever podcast platform you use. And whilst you're there, please leave us a comment, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you.